0: Welcome back to Round the Coin. Today's episode, we interviewed Daniella
1: Inamula. He is self-described as a Bitcoin enthusiast, and he's the Capital Markets Specialist, head of Capital Markets at Cred, mycred.io. D, as he's known, really gives a educational podcast here. We cover many different topics, and his vast array of experience and knowledge shines through more so than just about anyone else I've interviewed. He basically explains how the whole industry works, and I learned a tremendous amount in the conversation, and I hope you do as well. The show today is sponsored by Otter Labs. Check out HireOtter.com if you're looking for great, inexpensive developers on the same time zone. The company specializes in recruiting and placing developers that are in Argentina and South America, so a great option if you're looking to hire engineers for your project. Also, we have Redeem, spelled red Redeem is the fastest, safest, just all-around best place to trade Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies for discounted gift cards. So whatever the side of the spectrum you're on, whether you have crypto and you want to exchange that for gift cards, or you want gift cards to buy Amazon or Walmart, eBay, Apple, Best Buy, whatever else, check out Redeem.com. And without further ado, hope you enjoy ah. the show. All right. So here we are back on the show. We have myself, Mike Townsend, uh, Kinza Durst, who is our shadowing host for Around the Coin and will be continuing to do shows in the future. And Danielle Immahala. Im- Imah- Im- oh, I practiced this pre show. Can you pronounce <laughs> it
2: for me? D. I it right before the show. Yeah, no. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best part. Uh, my last name is
1: Inamala. Okay, great. And uh, Danielle is the head of capital markets at Cred. Uh, Do you want to give us a little bit of background on what Cred is and then what you're doing previous to that as well?
2: Absolutely. Uh, So Cred is a financial services platform. Uh, We're primarily a B2B to C platform to bring lending and borrow services for digital assets. Um, We have, uh, we essentially work by partnering with some of the top uh, exchanges, wallets, uh, financial services providers <clears throat> in the cryptocurrency and digital asset ecosystem, um, and we have two primary products, which is a borrow product, and then also a product that uh, customers can go pledge their assets and earn interest or, or yield on their assets as well. Uh, we, um, you know, our our kind of founding is, you know, Dan Shad, our CEO, came from PayPal, and, and that's really sort of the blood that runs through. Our organization is, is very kind of institutional focused, uh, uh, as well as providing, you know, kind of the mission for, for credit itself is just to democratize financial services around the world. So myself, uh, I come from a hodgepodge of different things in the past, you know, I graduated at, uh, the, the best time to graduate from college 2008, 2009, since there's so many jobs at that point. Uh, so did I. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was really fun. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, was uh, right after graduation it was a was that certainly a shuffle to try to get that first job which you know everyone was sort of worried rightfully so and so started off in, in finance just financial services and i think 2008 2009 really took you know a big toll on on me and some of the people around me uh, and some family friends as well so i always wanted to be uh, the individual that you know helps others with respect to their personal finance and and just you know their financial situation now and, and how to improve that, uh, over their lives. And so started off my career in you know, providing financial advisory, um, you know, slowly morphed into an investment consultant and felt that I was looking for a little bit more and, transitioned uh, transition into grad school, uh, and was primarily focused on, you know, financial services for the energy space. Cause that was always very interesting to me. Uh, and, you know, so was in banking and consulting with EY and Houlihan Loki for about five years, uh, in, in the power and utilities and energy space. And sort of the old drum kept beating that you know, I just wanted to get back into financial services, see how I could personally make an impact in the world. And uh, sort of along the way, my brother actually, who's also in the crypto space, got me interested in uh, Bitcoin in general. Uh, and so I actually have an email from 2014 when I was in grad school. to all my friends calling you know Bitcoin completely ludicrous and all these digital assets are, are going to go to zero. They make no sense. And kind of kick myself for not investing, obviously, a little bit earlier, but more so just not understanding the true potential of, of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies uh, that exist. And so, you know, kind of fell in love with the industry. I was I was in Denver at the time and uh, found sort of, uh, you know, the close, you know, really well-known company, Salt, uh, was my initial gig in the crypto space, uh, and now here at Cred, helping lead, you know, digital assets, uh, capital markets, and, and sort of innovations on that front, and you know, ever since I've joined, been, been super interested and passionate about the space. I think there's just so much going on uh, from an economic point of view. And uh, and there's just a massive amount of potential that I think exists in the industry. And and so I think I've, I've found my place in the world. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: tell me, so you, you before we dive into the, the financial and crypto world, you yeah. were the founder of Glitter of Hope Foundation, which is a yeah. charity for refugee or- orphans. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this was, I think, two, three years after I graduated college. So there's a, a refugee community in uh, close to Atlanta, uh, and uh, it's called Clarkston, Georgia, which is just a little bit outside of Emory, which is in, in the city where I went to undergrad. And the city is is you know known for its refugee community. It's it's one of the most diverse little sections of Atlanta, actually, probably the United States uh, that I know of, and. It's, it's basically um, there's the, the Somalian refugee crisis and Sudanese refugee crisis, I think, really stimulated that community. So there was an influx of, you know, individuals and refugees coming from all these different atrocities. And so one area that we found was that, uh, you know, there's a lot. Our focus was basically single mothers that had come over. And a lot of these single mothers, you know, their, their husbands had been killed in combat. Uh, or just killed with you know in genocide, and you know, even their friends, uh, you know, parents may have been killed, and so they take on somewhere between five and ten children, uh, and then come over to the U.S. and they just try to care for them for for a better life. But one of the issues is that you know government-based financing can only take them so far. It extends their lives maybe you know two to three months, and there's not really a lot of services out there. You know most of these. Uh, women are working in uh, at a chicken farm uh, locally there, and so they don't have the ability to care for their children. They don't have money to buy basic goods and services. Uh, they don't have the ability to educate their children. And so, you know, my father and I and, and my brothers uh, saw an opportunity and said, "Hey, you know, there's there's such a huge demand there, and that everyone thinks that these government-based financial services can, you know, help them and, and sort of provide a floor, where actually the floor actually drops quite considerably after just a few months." And so, you know, we're we're essentially we've raised. I think we've taken care of about over a hundred families ever since then. Uh, raised substantial assets. Sent since, uh, sent since a couple of kids off to colleges. Uh, and so, we're really that's probably the you know one of my proudest achievements in just founding that. But we have a great set of people that help manage and run the uh, run the <clears throat> the nonprofit uh, today. Uh, I, I help kind of in the background today, but you know a lot of smarter people than I have I've kind of taken over and. Are running that, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I tell you, like one of the saddest stories that that I had was, I think it was my second second or third trip. So the way that it works, so there's a p- couple of apartment communities that are around uh, Clarkston, and so we just traveled around, bringing presents for uh, the celebration of Eid, uh, which is you know in the Islamic faith, and you know so when we're bringing around presents, one of the houses I stopped at, there was a woman outside looking for sticks. And so, you know, kind of walked up and asked her, you know, what are you looking for? Are your your kids are inside? We want to, you know, bring presents to the community, uh, which were essentially just, you know, school bags. And she was looking for a stick to be able to stir her food that night because, you know, her ladle had broken in half. And so that really, I don't know, it just took me by surprise. You know, I was always raised very fortunate. Uh, You know, one of the richest parts of Georgia, went to all the right schools. and, And I don't know, it just you know, took me back and it was just been something that I've been very passionate about trying to help, you know, obviously that family and, and many more as well. So uh, mm-hmm. one of my proudest achievements and, and hopefully it continues for the next, you know, 50 to hundred years. And, and honestly, I can't take most of the credit. My dad, you know, his name's Anam. He's, uh, he's one of the guys that really led the effort. You know, he was, you know, one of the, uh, he's one of the best people I know and one of the greatest models, you know, a person, uh, a kid could ask for. And he's doing a fantastic job for the local community there.
1: That's amazing. Is that where he lives now?
2: Yeah, he lives in Alpharetta, uh, so he doesn't live mm-hmm. in Clarkston, uh, but there's plenty of bodies on the ground. You know, we, one thing that we've always focused on is to try to create a community approach or an atmosphere there um, and because you, want, you, know, you don't want growth to come from outside of the community. You want, you want the community itself to grow itself. And so we found people on the ground that are you know, kind of you know, the eyes and ears of uh, what's happening in the community, where people are needed, and this extends well beyond just education and and setting them food. I mean, it's it's trying to train these kids. It's working with local institutions to help from a healthcare perspective. It's uh, you know helping people understand what the situation is on the ground. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's certainly a lot of things all combined in one. And you know we have a lot of people overachieving <laughs> that work for Glitter of Hope to try to push that forward.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I think that the 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 challenge of uh, refugees just from a global perspective is something that uh, is probably going to get harder you know throughout our lifetimes as um, I think the the climate pressure pushes on on people yep. especially in Africa and maybe Southeast Asia as well and it seems like the United States largely just benefits from the geopolitical, Position that it's in, we're we're just across two major oceans. Mm -hmm. But I don't. My my personal view viewpoint on it is like, why should the countries that surround the countries in turmoil be um, upholding and responsible for the refugees? It, It seems like you know we are at a point where we should have the capacity and willingness and desire to get together and really help refugees, regardless of what. Uh, location the country's in, and especially with the affluence and the resources that the United States has. And I, I look at a lot of the refugees as being such, uh, I mean, it's it's obvious on one level to say that they're good people, but they're they're such high potential people because they are in such a, a dire straits that, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I feel, to me, I feel like our immigration policy just as a country should be, it, it doesn't feel like a political... It doesn't feel like it necessarily needs to be politically confrontational. You know, you have yeah. uh, relatively secure borders, you have a relatively simple vetting process, a thorough vetting process, but you have a fluid uh, capability for people to enter the country safely, um, you know, assimilate to the country's culture. So I don't know, (laughs) I'm sure you're a lot closer to it than I am, but it does, it does feel like we, with, with some attention put in that area, we could really improve so many people's lives because it's so hard. I mean, being a refugee is like, I can't, I can't relate. I I really, I mean, it's such a different mindset. It really is crazy.
2: That's totally true. And and honestly, not to, not to jump to later in the conversation, but it's, it's also one of the reasons I think I got so into the cryptocurrency industry and and Bitcoin Mm. in general is because, you know, the notion of borders and the fact that, you know, there's all these laws and regulations that get in the way of being a human and, and trying to respect the dignity of others uh, around the world. Um, I, I think that's always given me pause and, and said, hey, you know what? This system isn't right. There needs to be a better alternative. Um, you know, immigration laws, as you said, are are backwards and archaic and uh, and don't promote you know, you know, equality and and just you know <laughs> the ability to provide for for others, which is it seems like such a simple concept, but um, you know, just to help help your fellow human being <laughs> in the in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're just there's so many the rules it against it, you know. Um, yeah, you know, know, and, and government seems
1: to get in the way more than they facilitate a better experience for people, and that's that's the that's the light side of social media to be able to communicate what's actually going on the ground for free. You know, just yeah. that. An iPhone or any yeah. mobile smartphone. Right. Yeah, it does. It does feel like crypto in particular has a unique ability to help people who are in those uh, really, really challenging situations without access to financial, you know, just bank accounts like we do in the US. That's probably why, going back to your comment earlier, people, you know, in 2014, you're probably your, your Wall Street friends or other uh, banker friends are not seeing the bigger picture because there's just no, there's not as big of a need for people in the United States. We have safe, secure relatively quick, uh, banking services. Um, so, uh, fast forwarding a little bit, t- tell me about Chris, tell me about how you, why you joined the company and what the company's current state is in terms of the number of people there funding, uh, revenue, if you can mention that the type of customers, um, g- g- just kind of paint the landscape a little bit for me.
2: Sure. So, you know, Cred uh, initially, Started off as, as I mentioned, just focused on lending and borrowing for financial services. And, and we really see that as sort of the genesis for providing credit and better financial services to, to people around the world. So we started off self-funded as an organization um, with our with our two founders, Lu Hua and Dan Schatt. Uh, you know, they both were you know ex PayPal and and sort of, you know, that kind of speaks to just the culture and and how we move early PayPal, I should say, not current PayPal, which are two completely different, you know, animals at the end of the day. Uh, and so, you know, we we function as scrappy as as we can be. We're about you know I think twenty five to thirty strong uh, at the moment. Uh, our hiring strategy from the get go was really, um, you know, to focus on providing you know, getting the the smartest, brightest people that are the most passionate about the industry, uh, in, in you know, to work together. And we feel that's been a really good mix. And so. You know, the platforms that we've been working on relative to our competitors to sort of have their self driven platforms and, and are essentially just digital marketing arms. You know, we wanted to provide the same yield based services to every company, you know, whether exchanges, wallets. You know, it's, it's really difficult to set up both the legal infrastructure in the US. You know, we're, we're a regulated, you know, licensed lender, for example, out of the state of the California. Um, and just being able to set that up with respect to the infrastructure. Um, the the technical know-how is, is difficult and, and not everyone that starts an exchange or a wallet has that capability. And so, you know, our, our plans are for future in terms of scaling our business is, you know, how do we essentially spread our tentacles to the most amount of partners um, and, and work from that perspective. And so I think partnership is is really at the crux of, of how we, you know, kind of are pushing our company forward. Um, and we think it's a very effective business strategy and allows us um from a business perspective to stay relatively lean from a profitability point of view. Um, And so since we're not spending as many dollars on marketing campaigns because we have partners that we're able to offset some costs with, uh, since we're not spending money on deep marketing teams, which are also a a huge expense, uh, I think we're able to be a little bit more nimble uh, and then the idea is that we, you know, we pay people well uh, within our organizations, but then we also expect a lot out of them as well. You know, there's everyone wears multiple hats in the business. Um, everyone is, mm-hmm. you know, we want everyone to feel secure uh, and then, you know, and communicate with one another and just be very proactive about everything in the business. I mean, it's not unusual, for example, for our engineering team or a product team to pitch me ideas on the capital market side. Uh, and so I think that's been really collaborative where I think it's hurt us is that we just haven't got our name out there as quickly as everyone else, just because we haven't been spending the same amount of dollars, uh, from a marketing perspective. So I, I think over the long run, it's a, it's definitely the preferred strategy. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we worked. With respect- Go ahead. Yeah.
1: I was just going to ask you, uh, just to dig into that a little bit. Give me a specific example. Just assuming I know nothing about the financial markets, when you say partners and uh, you know your strategy there, what would be like a use case for what you're doing specifically?
2: Yeah, so let's say for for example, one of our partners is is Uphold, and uh, they're a large wallet provider, financial services. I think they just released a debit card as well on their platform, Uh, but they just didn't have any yield based services. Um, that they could offer their clients, and so you know they're one of the largest partners that we have today uh, and basically we uh, integrate allow them to integrate with cred as the back end so that they could seamlessly allow their customers to pledge their assets to earn yield or or borrow against their assets as well uh, and so if there's you know where so that's that's one example other examples for example are other clients or our direct partners, I should say, uh, Bitcoin.com is one, Huobi is one. Uh, we just integrate with Clever Wallet as well uh, on that launch. Uh, and so the whole idea is that we're not trying to get people to come to a singular platform at Cred. We're trying, you know, our customer at the end of the day are all these different partners that we have. So, you know, the exchanges and wallets uh, that are looking to just integrate with some sort of uh, the lending solution on their platform.
1: Mm, that's interesting. Who else is doing this? What would be, I mean, not to throw out other competitors, but just sure. to paint the landscape a little yeah, bit. No uh,
2: yeah, and you know, we have no problem mentioning competitors. I mean, the industry is small enough; everyone's trying to figure it out, uh, so we're still all pretty friendly with one another as of today. But some of the larger competitors here in the U.S. would be Celsius and, and BlockFi, who you know have, are incredible organizations and you know have been very successful as well.
1: And do they? These guys, Celsius and BlockFi, are also Uh, partnering with other crypto companies to handle lending and earning on the back end? Or are they mostly focused or are they entirely focused on just the front end consumer uh, experience?
2: So most of their, uh, they do integrate with certain partners um, as well. But I think most of their focus is driving large marketing campaigns toward their own platform. So they do all have, you know, they're they're slightly differentiated one way or another, and, and they're constantly evolving. But it is sort of a, a land grab to get assets and customers on their individual platform.
0: Hmm.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Everybody's friends now, but just wait. Yeah.
3: <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah, quick, yeah. quick question that Daniel, um, you know, you, yeah. You, yeah. You know, you, as you guys are as credit is working on lending and borrowing and I mean, you mentioned you were Bitcoin enthusiast and, and known about Bitcoin for a long time as a, as like a potential global um, currency, right? Um and yep. and right now there are quite a few cryptocurrencies popping up. Um of course, you know, Ethereum and all the other ERC20 tokens that that's creating being created on top of the Ethereum platform are, are really popular. But there are there are other uh contesters for for this global currency as well. So I was wondering um yeah is is cred just like just involved with, with quite a different types of cryptocurrency assets, or is it just focusing on Bitcoin itself or, or Ethereum?
2: No, great question. So we we have, I think, exposure to some of the top 20 to 30 assets with respect to market, uh, market capitalization um, in, in the cryptocurrency space. So there's a lot of amazing projects that are out there. Um, at the end of the day, most people don't realize, especially if you're not in the industry, that all these different assets or digital assets are out to do something different at the end of the day. Like Bitcoin is very different from what ETH um, is intended to do. And Bitcoin is different than Bitcoin cash. And so there's a lot of subtle nuances between all the different assets out there. Uh, So we take a very, from a a company point of view, a very agnostic approach with respect to digital assets, because, you know, we want all of them uh, to win. And the more market cap that a lot of these different coins and tokens have out there, you know, the the greater the market cap that we'll have on our platform, and, and the more business there is to go around at the end of the day. Uh, so I think primarily our book is today, as as, as of today, is still Bitcoin, ETH, and stablecoin, because that's where more of the, the volumes are are certainly. But I expect that to change in the future um, as as we look to just integrate with the different types of assets. Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of you know, a lot of stuff going on in the DeFi space today. That's that's very interesting. There's a lot of tokens that are gaining a high degree of popularity. I think there will be a few winners, uh, certainly a lot more losers at the end of the day. Um, but we would like to support you know all the best projects, and so you know a critical piece of that is we have a review process internally here at Cred that we look at all the all the different assets. We make sure obviously you know number one we're not going to invest in a scam asset, <laughs> and then number two is is the partners that we're looking to bring on are individuals that have built or companies that have built you know, a wonderful reputation uh, in the industry. They have a great following and we think that they have a lot of potential.
3: Great, great. Yeah. I mean, you know, DeFi space is definitely really, really hot right now. And de- a decentralized finance is, it, they include services like lending and borrowing themselves. But as you mentioned, yeah, I have seen quite a few um, rug pools, they call it, or, or not very reputational. Um, um, some sort of like, scams uh, that's going around. So it sounds like Credit yeah. is really, really working to build like the trust uh, in, the, in the ecosystem, working with institutions, uh, building that reputation to, to provide, um, b- build like a stronger trust and, and uh, bring newer players into the ecosystem, which is really exciting to see.
2: Yeah, right. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, DeFi, you're right. There's, there's a lot of good, a lot of bad. Uh, I see a huge amount of potential in the DeFi space in general. Uh, and so, you know, we'll, over the next year or so, I think we're going to get a lot more involved in terms of providing different types of lending, borrow services, either funding liquidity pools, um, just seeing how we can contribute to the industry. I mean, we started out CFI, uh, but the more and more we discuss DeFi projects, and, and the more DeFi projects honestly that reach out to us, you know, we just need to get smarter in that space. And, and I think we're we're moving in that direction. We've made some really great recent hires, um, and. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be constantly evolving uh, over the next couple of years, and uh, that's the fun part of being in the industry. Hmm.
1: D, D, I want to ask you. So, you wrote a Medium article uh, back in July of last year, twenty nineteen, titled "Crypto Millionaires and the Estate Planning Quandary: Using Traditional <laughs> Life Insurance Policies to Hedge Downside Risk." And pre-show, yeah. I, I read through this um, with some questions as well, but it certainly seemed sure. like an extensive amount of research went into this. Give me your take on what what you think life insurance policies and hedging downside risk, how those relate to crypto and estate planning. Tell me tell me the gist of this article, if you will.
2: Yeah. Oh, boy. You dug deep. (laughs) Um, No, I I released that. Honestly, we were just kind of curious when I was I think it was at Salt at the time and we were just uh, discussing different, um, you know, problems or issues. Bitcoin or, or other digital assets would have in the future. And, and one of those is just the wealth transfer effect. And I think in this particular case, what we were looking at is how can you maximize your Bitcoin ownership and provide and get different financial services um, out of it. And you know, ultimately, like you know, the whole industry started out lend borrow because it's really fast and easy to use, because it's based on you know this concept of stock lending. Uh, which is very profitable, but at the same time, there's there's a whole bunch of different issues. And so, you know, the way I looked at it is, you know, financial services are going to broaden year after year uh, with respect to what Bitcoin uh, can promote and and what you can get into. And I think life insurance is is such an interesting concept because you know, for each individual, there's a cost of funding the life insurance policy. And so, for the a lot of the individuals that bought Bitcoin early and suddenly are just millionaires and billionaires, there's. You know, a difficulty in also finding a way to create a floor for yourself because Bitcoin is an inherently volatile asset, and you know, in the future, you don't know uh, what's what's going to happen. So, I think um, I, I don't remember the specifics because it was uh, yeah, I definitely, as you mentioned, did some uh, did some research on it, uh, and it was it was a little bit ago. But I think the ultimate concept was that if you borrow uh, based on your Bitcoin and then you use that to sort of fund life insurance policies, you can maximize. Uh, your IRR over the long term uh, and and protect some of the downside risk if Bitcoin does go down in value uh, over time. So I think, uh, you know, as these different policies mature uh, with respect to financial services, as insurance companies get more involved, I think you're just going to have to find different ways to utilize Bitcoin and and other assets within your ecosystem. And I think that was just kind of one example. Um, of, of those platforms. There was also an article that I think was also interesting. I don't know if you got to, it was the Spencer Dinwiddie which, uh, article uh, about, you know, first of all, Cred, we, we're in partnership with, with uh, Dinwiddie uh, and have launched sort of a partner page uh, for you know customers and, and, you know, sort of fans to earn yield on their cryptocurrency assets. And I think the interesting piece about that is what he was trying to do was tokenize his contract uh, and I think he was actually successful on a limited basis with respect to what he wanted to achieve, but it's sort of the same concept is at the end of the day, if we can democratize access to financial services, if we, which for Spencer means, you know, hopefully you can sell shares of your contract to your fans, you know, what better way of engaging with your audience, what way you know, better way of building your personal brand by selling, you know, your contract to people that, you know, you hope to make happier for over the next couple of years. Um, and so, you know, when you give power back to the people, when you give power back to the players, in this sense, uh, I think you can just create such a dynamic industry and and such a you know different ways of integrating blockchain technology uh, within your personal framework. So I think I, I think those are like kind of what things that interest me the most uh, about the crypto space.
1: Uh, backing up a second, so yeah. you. You mentioned, explain that a little bit more. So I, I didn't follow the Dinwiddie case. So you're saying this, this is for, say, someone like a, a, a an artist, say, like a um, musician. They can sell shares in their in their revenue, in their revenue of their products, of their, say, songs in this case. Is right, that what true. you're...
2: Yeah. So this is not what we did at Cred. We just have an integration right. with his, his land borrow. But what Spencer was trying to do... Uh, uh, was essentially tokenized. And he did, I think, tokenize his contract. There was you know, two pieces. There was a fixed and there was a variable component to his contract. I don't think the SEC allowed him to get the variable component, but allowed him to get the fixed component. Uh, so let's say that he's earning, I don't know exactly what his contract is, but let's say he's earning $20 million over the next two years. Um, he was basically able to get a piece of that up front. So sell a certain piece of that contract. Let's say he got, I don't remember the exact amount, but let's say it's $19 million up front today. So what that enables him to do is two things. One, it allows him to get all of his contract dollars up front uh, today, and so he can reinvest that at hopefully a greater rate of return uh, for, for him, and, and that's fantastic. But second, what it does, it allows him to sell that contract and allows the players uh, and, and the fans to get a piece of that contract at the end of the day. So if they'll get, I think the return was a 5 or 6% rate of return um, by buying into that contract. So quick example, uh, math aside, let's say that they're, Ultimately, he'll earn $100 in two years. As an investor or a fan or someone that's interested in, his, in purchasing a piece of his contract, I might buy into that for $90. And so I sit on that contract for two years, and at the end of the day, I get $10. So the difference being $10 is my my rate of return on, on buying in the contract. So that's like how it's structured. Uh, but it was he actually tokenized that offering, which also allows more individuals in a more seamless manner to access... Uh, access that contract now. Unfortunately, I don't think he was able to forego the accredited investor exemption, which has now changed. But uh, you know, the goal for him, and I think others in the crypto community, is how can we democratize that access? How can we allow people to you know spend five dollars or fifty dollars um, because they're investing in something they care about at the end of the day, uh, more so rather than kind of flipping the screen to E Trade or Schwab and and seeing what's kind of, you know the hot stock. It's more so. You know where can I make a difference? Where do I think? You know what am I interested in? Um, and that allows people to I just invest more in a more intuitive manner.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. So would people? It seems like looks like he had a thirty-four million dollar contract with the Nets. He sold his SDA 8 tokens. The and this like you mentioned is only available to accredited investors, which I yep. think is is robbery. Yep. Uh but Then those <laughs> those people. That they buy in. Are they buying a right to a second contract? I mean, I, I don't I feel like I missed the gist of it's, it. It's what? My
2: current contract. So let's say my current contract will pay me a hundred dollars over the next two years. So and it's a fixed amount, right? There's usually mm-hmm. fixed and variable variable components to these uh, athlete contracts. And so what I'm basically saying is that as as Dinwiddie, I'm getting ninety dollars up front for a contract that will pay me a hundred dollars in two years. For the investors, I'm buying in at ninety dollars. Which you know goes to Dinwiddie, uh, but then I get the difference the the hundred dollars in in two years, and so it 's not the rights to a different contract, it's certain rights to the current contract that he has. He essentially tokenizes contract
1: Wow, I wonder, could you do this for just about anyone so say i signed a say, <laughs> say I signed a, a one year deal as like a social media manager making yep. hundred thousand a year at a startup could I tokenize that to people and allow you know take the money up front and then I guess use that to try to earn a higher rate of return than the difference between what I sell the, the potential salary tokenized salary for.
2: Yeah. I I mean, that's, that's the idea, right? That's where you really leverage blockchain technology because what really prohibited you from doing this today or before blockchain existed is that it's so expensive because there's so many, so much rent seeking behavior uh, between just the whole process of tokenizing your contract or leveraging your, your contract for another purpose. Uh, because you have to hire lawyers, accountants, you know, have people verify each, you know, the contract and, and all this sort of right. stuff. But if, if you can hash the, all those details into a blockchain technology, um, you know, one of the, one of the better one, one knowns, for example, is the one that Figure runs through the Provenance blockchain where they're tokenizing HELOCs. And so that saves just so much money in that, uh, that process. It makes it just incredibly more efficient. Uh, so people are able, actually able to do this because all they have to do is just go online, you know, type a few details, get you know get a few things verified, uh, and it's just efficient and, and seamless. And so where this is going, I think in the future is that, like yourself, let's say that you or another individual wants to start another podcast, it's expensive, right? You have to buy new mics. You want to you want to make it you know sound pretty. You want the audio to be you know very clear. You want to have some money for marketing. Um, and it's difficult if, if you're, you know, if you, if it's a side job or if it's something that you re, even you're doing full time, if you don't have savings, you can't really do that in, in a really successful manner. So let's say I do tokenize or I have a contract with, you know, another company that's going to pay me for marketing, uh, marketing the po- podcast because they like you for whatever reason, you could theoretically tokenize that contract. You can get all that money up front and you can scale your business a lot, a lot more quickly. Uh, a more basic example of, let's say that you're a plumber and, and you're looking to, um, you know, expand your services. you could still say, hey, I have you know these 10 contracts in my pipeline for the next two months that are gonna pay me you know two hundred dollars per job. Uh, I'll give you you know you the investor the rights to that contract, give me a few more money uh, you know a, a little bit more money today. I can spend that money on marketing and accelerate my pipeline. I can maybe you know hire another plumber so I'm more efficient in all my jobs at a better cost. so it just allows you to be more dynamic but you know the only people with access to those sort of capital markets today are, are the largest institutions in the world, you know, people that have access to, um, you know, tier one, tier two, you know, commercial banks. Um, You know, that's just, it's just not available today for individuals in an effective manner.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And all these, I mean, I would call them almost edge cases scenarios where it's like a plumber, people like a podcast where typically there's not a, there's not a liquidation uh, funnel, so to speak. Like, if I want to raise money as a startup and I'm building an app that I'm going to scale to a billion users, like, there's a clear, there's a there's a market of of investors who want to invest in that, you know, seed mm-hmm. funds and angel investors. Yep. But like you said, if if you're not if you're not building a scalable business, I, I suppose traditionally the reason for that is that the cost to do the transaction is so high. That there tends to be a filter, you know, it's just not worth it for somebody to invest into a thousand dollars into a plumbing company that's going to yeah. make you know, $1,100 back in a year. Um, but boy, it does seem to open up the market, right? I mean, it seems to make, it seems to use the ability for currency to be uh, much more distributed. Like you're, you're capitalizing many more markets than you previously could.
2: Yeah. It just allows people to, you know, sort of that same vein of, you know, people working for themselves. It allows them to also, you know, produce financial services for themselves because you don't need to go to a bank. You don't need to go to all these different companies out there if there's a plug and play solution that's verifiable on a blockchain. Uh, so that that's really, as you mentioned, just, you know, it's a game changer at the end of the day. And I think there's a lot of potential behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this sort of like, let's call it an STO type revolution, I think is is very near.
3: Would you say STL. yeah? And yeah. and you know I I know Cred has has their own token as well, right? Called LBA, um, and would you say it's kind of a similar um, similar structure in a way where you're kind of buying purchasing the value of the of the of what the, what services that Cred provides ahead of time?
2: No, uh, so LBA token hmm. is essentially it's it's more like kind of an Amazon approach. Uh, so I should say Amazon Prime approach, where if you have sort of this upgraded membership, you get additional benefits. So if there's individuals on our platform that have LBA and they stake it, they get greater rates of return uh, on their on their credit earn uh, portfolio, for example. So let's say that I have a certain amount of LBA and I pledge you know, Bitcoin on the side, I may get a 2 to 3% greater rate of return on the Bitcoin that I've pledged to the platform. So it's a uh, you know kind of a true utility type token
1: and the reason for this, like in the in the case of um uh say like BlockFi or Celsius or nexo, they have you know city so like nexo has the nexo token this the reason for that is to monetize to have income for the company. This is how the company generates you know income for the developers for the team is they increase the value of the token by offering uh like you said a couple of interest points higher rate of return when people yep. stake the token own the token.
2: Yeah, and everyone's business model is different, and you know I could probably make some guesses, but I don't know exactly how they would operate internally. We don't need or use LBA to fund our operations. That's that's just not you know a part of our business model. We we fund our operations uh, primarily through revenue, uh, and so uh, as well as you know we have investors from the get go uh, that have been part of the uh, part part of cred and, and helped us push forward. And, and that's kind of how we're, you know, set up. I think it's, it's really difficult as a licensed entity in the U.S. to fund yourself with, with a token. For, um, you know, we're, we're a licensed lender, like I mentioned before, and we're trying to build, you know, high quality, you know, infrastructure in the crypto space. So and I think as you've seen from the SEC, a lot of those ICO based infrastructures are sort of looked down upon. Um, and you know, they throw very mad shade at, at those sorts of entities and, and yeah. for, for good reason. I mean, a lot of the ICOs were scams and, uh, you know, a lot of people lost, lost a lot of money and you know, should they have done better diligence? Yes. But, you know, do these things look flashy when, when they're put in front of the public? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think I bought, I, mean, I even bought, you know, someone that I thought was more, <laughs> more knowledgeable, like, you know, a hundred dollars and some really really shady coin that i thought was going to do really well but you know that's kind of the hype that you have on reddit and all these other uh uh you know kind of marketing distribution <laughs> uh type uh, type spots and so mm-hmm. you know i get it um, i think it's it's good to have some sort of foundation uh or standards you know ideally these standards would come from larger organizations or private type organizations that could set standards for themselves uh but that doesn't always work out in an industry. So young and, uh, young and growing. And there's a lot of greed as well that you just kind of you know, have to <laughs> have to get through. Uh, but unfortunately it's going to happen no matter what the technology boom is at the end of the day with, whether it's railroads or internet or blockchain, you know, a lot of this is going to happen either way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I've seen, so I was checking out, um, I just, I saw quant, quant M quantum R E is, is pr- I think the company you might've been referring to that, offers the tokenization of your HELOC. So a real estate property, if you own, you could effectively sell the rights to sell the ownership of that property to, you know, as many people as you want through crypto, yep. which to me seems like an absolutely, I mean that, that in and of itself, that concept seems like something that could revolutionize the capitalization of our, of our real estate market and drastically improve it. Um, do you I don't know it seems like this company in particular isn't really operating you know they, they have a coming soon page when you want to invest do you <laughs> we're certainly on the tip of the spear with this stuff but do you see companies that are revolutionizing um, you know like a plumber or if I own a house or for the average person listening that might be involved in you know just normal brick and mortar business is there something that is that is available today that's working? That people can check out. Do you you feel? Have you seen projects out there that really have gotten through the regulatory hurdles and are, you know, are, are making stuff happen? Or are we still kind of largely in the like concept phase and trial phase and regulatory clearance phase?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think from the perspective of building your own bank, I think there's a lot of great products out there. I mean, Cred, for example, is one of those that we offer. know, lend borrow solutions. We allow you to access uh, on, and all of our partners allow you to access digital assets, whether it's digital gold, digital dollars, uh, digital crypto uh, on their platform. And you could really, you know, uphold, for example, one of our, uh, you know, fantastic partners, they just released their debit card. So now you can spend assets on on their platform as well. Um, So I think there's a lot of great products there. And that was the initial focus. I think the the next step, which what you're mentioning in terms of self financing, building your own bank, uh, from a from a financing point of view, um, it's coming. Like uh, I don't know about Quantum, uh, the company that you just mentioned, but Provenance, or which is the blockchain managed by Figure uh, Technologies, I think they're they're really far ahead on the heloc space. I think they just securitize a hundred million dollars or something of their of helocs originated on their platform, uh, which is unheard of and uh, i think mike hagney who's the founder of figure who also founded sofi i mean he's just created a really unique infrastructure there that of uh, you know i don't know what the actual savings numbers are but i think it's around a percent or a percent and a half with respect to interest uh, for the total amount of principal that was, that was originated on their platform and so you know all that money saved is is just you know it it just shows you the massive potential by reducing the rent seeking behavior that sits in between you know, someone wanting to tokenize their contract and someone actually being able to get that done. Where I don't think the, there has been tremendous progress is on the micro level. You do see a lot of these larger products. For example, the the Aspen digital coin, which is, uh, I think, is a St. Regis, um, Regis tokenization out of, sorry, the St. Regis Aspen tokenized uh, a piece of their equity. Um, and that was just kind of one example about, you know, sort of democratizing that sort of interest, finding a larger borrowing base for St. Regis, while also providing, you know, differentiated financial products to investors. The problem is that it's all accredited investor focused. So, you know, mm. <clears throat> you know, everyone outside of that description is not really able to get access to those types of financial services in a seamless manner. Uh, so I think that's a huge gaping hole uh, that will need to be fixed somehow. I think the crowdfunding regulations uh, a few years ago were a step in the right direction. Uh, my guess is with all this new potential out there, uh, you know, there's a whole host of companies, and, and I think CRED is one of them uh, leading in the space about bringing, you know, honesty and quality infrastructure to the space. Once you see more and more of that and, and build those trust relationships, uh, and, and and also like once you attract developers, uh, I think that's another gaping hole, like blockchain space, while it's it's interesting and sexy at the moment, you know, developers are still making way more money in in, in other industries. And so once you attract enough developers to the field... You get better products. Um, you you get better UI. You get better experiences uh, across the board. That's when I think those products will really start to accelerate. Uh, there was one though that I, I guess I should mention, and it's more of a, a philanthropic approach where you're, you know, people are able. To, and we did this with Glitter of Hope. Um, I think the company's name I think was Big Give. Uh, I'll look that up after. But uh, we able to, we were able to pledge a project where we, so where, where we just offered so. Every year at Glitter of Hope, we have a soccer tournament for the refugee children. And so every year we try to buy them new jerseys and cleats. Uh, and so we posted, um, you know, that project online uh, through this website. And people were just very you know, easily, they're able to donate, you know, five, ten dollars worth of Bitcoin or stable or whatever uh, to the platform. And we raise enough money to, to, to build that product out. Um, and so or, or uh, perform the tournament and, and buy cleats and jerseys and. Uh, it was just really easy to, to leverage that technology. And what re- what made people really happy is that we basically indicated what we were going to spend the money for. And that all is verifiable on the blockchain. Like we were just, you know, these are the vendors we're going to spend it on. Um, you know, this is the amount, this is the dollar dollar amount that we're going to spend, put it in front of everyone. And uh, it was just really easy. But I think from an investment point of view, that's probably going to be a few years until there's you know really regulatory clarity that it would allow a plumber, for example, to tokenize their sales pipeline.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. I think a lot about regulation and whether or not it's a hindrance or a uh, value add to the market. And it's complicated, I, I, I certainly believe. It seems like the accredited investor, again, had probably good intentions. I mean, I'm sure it had great intentions when it was initially proposed and passed as a, as a bill. But it does seem to me like we're at a point now where we're 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 preventing people that aren't millionaires from accessing relatively uh, high potential investments, and so you know you're you're now only letting the rich have access to um, you know investments that could be 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 really big return- returns. Yeah. Uh, do you view government here and regulatory? Um, the the regulation generally as a hindrance to innovation on this front of just generally, you know, decentralized finance and opening up these new areas of innovation on, on crypto. I mean, if you were, if you were in charge of say the, you know, <laughs> SEC or, you know, other FinCEN, yeah. do you make any drastic changes or do you feel like we're, we're now at a Bottleneck is on the technology and development side, or is it really on? uh, We need to we need to change some regulations and open up the door for innovators to come in.
2: You know that's a that's a great question, and I think by uh, by no means am I a a policymaker or through policy decks. I figured I'd
1: throw it to you and see see your thoughts.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think the answer is yes and no, which is a shitty answer, but I'll give it to you anyways. And so the no is you know reasons why i don't think the government steps in the way is that you know they're what they what they come out with is that they want to make sure that each investor is protected right and so these larger organizations like e trades or schwabs that offer financial products like stocks and bonds and and mutual funds and all that fun stuff you know these are highly regulated entities so i know if i go to e trade and i buy a stock that i'm actually buying a stock like that actually exists that same level of clarity doesn't exist in the crypto world. Like there is no regulatory body that says, or, or, or agency or company that it says, if I go there, I have the same trust that I would have in, uh, in, in a traditional company, like a PayPal or, you know, Fidelity recently came out with, with some crypto products, I think today, actually this morning. Um, but, you know, that, that same sort of trust just doesn't exist. So what they've done a good job of, I think, is making sure that the bad players that exist out there you know, they let them know <laughs> that that they're coming to get them. And I think they've done that a couple of times in the past. Um, and absolutely, you want government to step in the way. I think that if there is a scam out there, um, that they shut it down quickly. The other th- a benefit where I think government can help with is accelerate the process. And and what I mean by that is if they're able to, you know, say, hey, you know, Cred is a high quality shop. They've gone through this licensing, this regulatory structure. It gives the people that are on the fringes of getting interested in in crypto a reason to to dive in. So like baby boomers, for example, you know, if we get the nod from, you know, the SEC or FinCEN in in whatever manner, um, you know, that gives a lot more trust uh, for an individual that is interested, you know, say, hey, maybe I will spend, you know, 5% of my portfolio on Bitcoin and then pledge it to gain some interest uh, because I'm getting really, really great rates of return. Or maybe I will get interested in stablecoin uh, because I'm able to generate better interest than I would at a bank. Um, and, and I'm relatively confident that I'm not going to lose all my money. Uh, so I think government debt can provide that sort of security to investors sort of on the fringes. Um, now, on the flip side, on the technological front, I, uh, there's plenty of smart people that work at the SEC. You know, they, they know what's going on. It's not like, you know, they're just sitting there at their desk, you know, fiddling with their pencils like they see the entire landscape. Um and I think the direction that they've chosen to say is like, we're going to see what happens, see what evolves. Um, and then we're going to make a move after that. And we just want to make sure that the worst, of the worst projects out there, you know, don't happen. And so like, if there's scam coins on there, we're going to move really, really quickly to shut those down. Or we're going to find this company a whole lot of money because they didn't, they didn't abide by our security, uh, by our security standards like they did with block one. And, that I think they've that has been both a, that has been a, definitely a hindrance because although you are scaring the bad, the bad exists all over the world in, in lesser regulated industries, but it's prevented a lot of innovation in the in the industry because it's it sort of had a chilling effect on you know different investors that maybe want to do an ICO or they may want to do an STO um, and do it the right way, but you know they're sort of afraid of regulation and. You know, the other piece of it is that the U.S. government is also competitive with digital currencies in, in a sense, like the dollar is competitive with Bitcoin. Um, if <clears throat> well, I, I don't personally feel that in, in the short term, but, you know, that's it's sort of a huge threat to the U.S. dollar being a piece of the, the global, you know, leading the global mo- monetary system. And, you know, that's that's a real threat. But at the same time, you know, you haven't really seen draconian type legislation like you did in China in the U.S., like no. There hasn't been a piece of legislation that says that you can't use Bitcoin or you can't mine Bitcoin, which, you know, I think kind of shows that there's a middle ground, but it's really hard at the same time with the technology that's evolving so fast. Like, you know, how do you how do you regulate? How do you you know, our government is slow in, in everything that they do from a legislation point of view. Um, and so, you know, h- how do you get through that? Like, I think there's another company, Sarsen Funds, for example, um, they said that it does help different senators like uh, like Senator Crapo. Um, you know, come out with legislation that, um, you know, so here, here are potential frameworks that will work within the crypto space. But, you know, they just haven't gained traction because they're not as interesting as all the other stuff. And also they're not as interesting, I guess, as the election. So, um, you know, we'll see maybe, maybe after the next term when, when things get boring again and there's no debates and everyone hating each other, you'll, you'll have some more meaningful action. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's really really early. At the end of the day, I think is my answer, and and too early to tell.
3: Yeah, yeah, it definitely, it definitely is a is a, is an early space, um, the cryptocurrency space, and yeah. regulations coming in and uh, very vague as well. Um, you know, you, you see China, you know, they blind cryptocurrency, but they're implementing their own, you know, uh, Chinese yuan stablecoin, and yep and um, on the american side you don't have the government developing their own tech but usually innovation is driven by 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 companies here so you see facebook uh, developing libra stablecoin um so be really interested in seeing how how it develops globally but um you know cred it seems like cred is definitely a company that's that's pushing this and staying up to date with with the regulation and and the latest trends so that um, to, to provide a greater adoption of, of cryptocurrency to to layman people, um, you know, because because the space so far has is full of people who have very high risk appetite. Um, yeah, but cred does the brute brute work of of checking on these on um, the le- legitimacy of, of all, all the projects and and the and the longevity of the, of these projects and and the in- inherent value that they provide. So I think you know, a company like cred is super important um, for the industry, and and really excited for 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 where you guys are going and what new um, services you guys will provide in, in coming coming months and years, so yeah, we would love to. You know, how, how can people reach out to you? Learn more about pre- cred. Um, you know, is there is there anything that you really want to tell the audience about what cred is looking for, what you are personally looking for in terms of uh, increasing value for for uh, people in and interested in the cryptocurrency industry.
2: Yeah, I'd say, you know, for us, the easiest way to reach out to us uh, on our website, mycred.io. Uh, you could reach out to me on, on Twitter at Finance Chai. I uh, mm-hmm. would love to you know, hear your thoughts. We also have a, a Telegram page. I think it's I think it's probably just labeled Cred. I can look that up in just a second. Uh, yep, it's just Cred. Mm-hmm. And we release a bunch of updates. Uh, you know, we have, I think, a bi-weekly AMA with Dan, who, who's our CEO. Um, we also post all of our updates th- through that chat. And if you want to you know, chat with us, you know, uh, I think we have a phone call, a phone number you can pick up and, and just call. Uh, one of our sales guys will probably pick up um, or just send us an email. Uh, and we're, we're typically happy to chat. We love to discuss our infrastructure. We love to discuss our partners and love to discuss the, the roadmap that credit is headed on.
3: Yeah. And hopefully we can see another exciting blog post, a Medium post from you as well, you know, about, not about, <laughs> but maybe even about Glitter of Hope Foundation, how, how you're integrating cryptocurrency with that foundation. You know, we're really, uh, yeah. really excited.
0: I would love to.
2: Yeah. And I, I stopped using Medium. I have my own site now, financechai.com. So I have a couple of more up-to-date articles there if you want to check those out, but certainly we'll, uh, we'll think about the charity space and, and see, uh, if there's any further on the on how blockchain technology can sort of improve nonprofits, which I think there's a lot of a lot of different ways and a lot of great companies in the space. And also, I did verify the company that we use was BitGive, who's who's just fantastic.
3: Awesome, awesome, great, yeah, yeah. So looking forward to it. I'll, I will check out the button. awesome. Thanks, D.
2: You Got it. Appreciate your time, Mike. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: yeah. So. all right my man we'll we'll talk to you soon yep likewise nice chat If you're still listening, consider giving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it. We also now have a Patreon page where if you feel generous and you'd like to help us continue to produce the show, please contribute. Anything you can would be greatly appreciated. We've self-funded the show for over seven years now out of our own pockets, and it is not free. So any contribution you could make is greatly appreciated. If you'd like us to bring on any other guests to the show, just reach out on Twitter at Around the coin we'd love to hear from you thank you so much really and
0: hope you enjoy the next show there.